Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Thomas M. Sterner. Tom is the founder and CEO of the Practicing Mind Institute and an expert in present moment functioning. He is also a coach and speaker who works with high-performance individuals, helping them to operate effectively within high-stress situations so that they can break through to new levels of mastery. Top media organizations such as NPR, Fox News, and Forbes have sought his advice. He is the author of two books, including the bestseller, The Practicing Mind, and more recently, Fully Engaged. Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you, Chris. It's great to be here. Can you talk a little bit about your background and some of the work that you do? Sure. Uh, my background was uh, many, many years ago, I was a chief concert piano technician and remanufacturer of big grand pianos. Now, the only reason I mention that is that that work is very solitudinal and it's also extremely repetitious. And that was one of the things that uh, it gave me both a platform or an incubator to try out everything that I was studying in terms of present moment functioning. Uh, but it also demanded that I master that because it's extremely repetitious. Everything you do on a piano is at least 88 times and generally uh, quite a few few times more than that. So that was where I started out about 12 years ago. I had peaked in that business and I created a publishing company and I wrote uh, the, pub, uh, the Practicing Mind and I self-published it. Uh, and that was uh, the culmination of, at that time, about 25 years of research into uh, present moment functioning of peak performance, sports psychology, all the things that we were learning through neuroscience about how we function uh, in the zone at our highest level and, and how we can take a situation that's stressful and turn it into one where we're functioning in a very efficient manner and our experience of the situation is very peaceful. Uh, that became, as you mentioned earlier, a, a bestseller. It was picked up by New World Library and that all turned into a coaching career and consulting. So now I work with a lot of individuals. I've worked with everything from uh, high school athletes that are college bound and looking for scholarships to I help them to be more efficient in their sport up to um, CEOs and corporations and uh, teams and corporations and helping them to use everything we know to run their business better. Can you describe what present uh, moment functioning is and then talk a little bit about how listeners can implement it into their lives? Yes, present moment functioning is really just what it, it sounds like. You know, we live in a culture and we're taught to not be in the present. And, uh, you know, when you're in the present moment, your mind is only on what is in front of you, what you're doing right here and now. And for the most part, people do not function in this way and they're not aware of it because they are what I'll call in their thoughts. Their mind is a thought machine. It's a problem solving uh, organ, and this is what it does. It runs around uh, solving problems for us. That's the reason why we don't live in caves anymore. It's the reason why we have the Sistine Chapel and Stradivarius violins and all this technology, because our mind is always looking for a better way of doing things. The problem with that is, is that it runs on autopilot, and if we don't uh, give it a problem to solve, then it will go into search mode and look for something to solve. And as individuals, that generally uh, means that our mind is either in the future anticipating something that is going to happen or it's reviewing something that has already happened and wishing we had done something differently. 
which creates a lot of emotional content. So we are not very efficient in terms of our thinking energy uh, because so much of our thinking, our thought energy is being uh, expended in a time frame, which is not where we're at. So when we learn to be in the fun- in the present moment, when we learn what it feels like to be in the present moment, it's <clears throat> it's a very calm state of mind. Time basically disappears, but we have access to our total consciousness. And so that's the reason why our performance level goes way up and our experience in the moment. We're not worrying about anything because we're completely absorbed in what we're doing right now. And everybody has experienced that at some time or another. You can watch kids playing a video game and they become very absorbed in the game and their mind is very present in that moment. And we've all had this experience, but being able to do it at will and on demand is a skill and it's it's one that we can learn and it's really life changing. Can you talk a little bit about that skill and how one would develop it? Well, the very first thing, the building block for not only this this skill, but for learning all skills efficiently and for everything that we're going to talk about today is what I call thought awareness training. You have got to learn that you are not your thoughts, that you experience thoughts that your mind creates thoughts. Some of those thoughts you initiate yourself as you try to solve problems. But many of them are, as I said earlier, the mind is just running on automatic and it's running around. It gets bored very easily. So for the most part, during the day, most people are, as I said, in their thoughts. Their mind runs to here. It has a thought. And when it has that thought, it creates um, there's emotional content with that thought and the body's flooded with hormones and we have these emotional experiences and then the mind runs over to here and has this thought because one thought begats another thought and it's just a cycle that just keeps running. So thought awareness training is where you learn <clears throat> that you are not your thoughts and you learn what it feels like to not be in your thoughts because when your mind runs off, you just follow it. It's what you've been doing since you were a child. And in this country, uh, in the Western world, we haven't been taught that uh, it doesn't have to be that way. So what is thought awareness training? Well, thought awareness training is just a label for some people could call it meditation. Uh, the, the problem with that label is that people tend to equate that with some sort of religious experience. And I would describe meditation, thought awareness training um, as this. It's a skill like reading. When we learn to read at that point, we have the skill of reading. We can read a comic book or we can read a religious text. But what we really have is a skill where we learn to listen to the mind, to watch the mind, to see what the mind is doing without our permission, and then to stop it from doing that. So that's what thought awareness training is. And so how do you do it? Well, it's very simple. You sit in a chair for 10 minutes a day. Uh, That's many times people want to go more than that after they start to do it. But uh, 10 minutes a day is enough to see a a pretty drastic change and fairly quickly. And you sit there and I recommend to people that they either do a phrase based um, session or uh, they can do a breath centered session. The breath centered session is you sit quietly, you close your eyes so that you don't have a lot of visual distractions and you should be in a quiet room where you're not going to be disturbed. And then you just watch your body breathe. The mechanics are, are very simple. What will happen if you do that is usually you start to try to control your breath. There's a tremendous temptation to think, well, if I slow my breath down, then I'll be more relaxed and this will work better. And that's really not the point of the thing. Your body knows how to breathe. You're just 
using that, watching your body breathe as you're giving your mind a task, a one single task and telling your mind, this is what I want you to do. I don't want you to start thinking about the report that's due next week or what I shouldn't have said to somebody yesterday. I just want you to do this one task. There's no analysis in it. Um, there's no judging in it. It's just do this one task. And the phrase based or mantra based is the same thing. You make up a simple phrase to yourself in you know, three, four words, and you just hear that in your head. You don't move your mouth. You just hear that in your head with your eyes closed. And you say that over and over again and for 10 minutes. Now, the mechanics are so simple to understand. But the mind is uh, extremely clever and it resists this. And what will happen is uh, if you sit there about 30 seconds in, maybe maybe a little bit longer, your mind will say to itself, this is boring. I've got this. So I'm going to go run off and solve some problem and it will take off and you will go with it because that's what you've always done. And you won't notice that you're going with it because you've always done it. It's a habitual behavior. And as that happens, there will be a point, which is where all the juices, you will wake up and realize and notice is probably a better word. You will notice that you're, you are not watching your mind anymore, that you are in your mind and you're going with your mind. That's where everything happens because it's in that microsecond that your separation occurs. When you start to notice, I'm not the mind, I'm the one that is noticing what the mind is doing without my permission. And so two things happen there. One, your awareness increases, so your um, observer uh, part of your personality increases, and your willpower to pull the mind back onto task increases. So I'm always amused when I talk to people and about this, and they say, you know, Tom, I've, I've tried this, and uh, what happens is I chase my mind all the time and I say, well, that's that's good. They think they're bad because they can't control the mind. And I tell them that's repetitions, just like at the gym. Every time you catch the mind, every time your mind takes off and you catch it, then you are growing in self-awareness and you're becoming more of a noticer, more of a witness to what is happening. And you are not means that you're noticing and you're not in your thoughts. And so what do you do with this? Well, what begins to happen is you start to be in charge. You start to use your mind as a computational device instead of being a slave to the mind and everything that it's doing. And I'll just give you a quick uh, example. I'm working with a young woman now who's a college athlete, and she has had a problem with getting down on herself when she is performing in, in the sport that she's in. So I had her start with this, and it's only been uh, about two and a half weeks. And for the first time, she's been in this sport since she was in third grade. For the first time in her life, she was in, she was playing and participating in the sport. She started to perform poorly and her, she started to get down on herself and she noticed this process that was happening. And she said to herself, I can change this. And when she did that, her focus went, it left this process of where she was telling herself, I'm going to be bad. Here's my performance. I've been here many, many times. And when I start to have this happen, then my performance degrades. And she made a choice that now I am going to change my performance right here. And her performance changed. And she was completely um, overjoyed with the fact that she realized that she had a choice as to where the mind was going to take her. And when she stopped that process that the mind was going down, which was nothing more than a habit of thought, um, 
her performance level change. It was the first time in her life that she experienced that. It's extremely powerful. And anything that you're going to do that is involving self-help, anything that is along those lines, you cannot make any progress in any of those things. You can't change any habit that you have. You can't change um, your reaction to situations if you don't if you're not able to remove yourself from the situation, become more of an observer. And that's what thought awareness training does. So it's the building block. It's the key to the prison door. When somebody is going through this process, essentially what I'm hearing is they're focused on sort of one thing, right? And the first is to become aware of when your mind is drifting away from that one thing so that you can attempt to pull it back. Is that right? Or, or create that awareness? Because the your inevitable outcome is to try to direct those thoughts. Am, am I describing this correctly? Yes. And I think what you what you're trying to realize is in this an exercise I do with many people uh, is to tell them, sit quietly, shut your eyes and stop thinking. And what they find very quickly is they can't. So if you can't, if you're telling your mind to stop thinking and it's telling you no, it's going to continue to, to think, then who's really in control? If you're not in control of your mind, then who's in control? And that's one of the things that you're learning there is that your mind will think without your permission. So the next thing is, what is it thinking about? Is it thinking about stuff I want it to think about? Or is it thinking about stuff that are making me upset, angry, whatever? So that's really what you're learning in this process. In order to do that, you have to stop the mind from running all over the place by giving it a command and telling it, look, I know you're going to run all over the place, but I want you to just I'm just going to give you this one task one task is either watch my breath or say these three or four words over and over again and then that's when the mind resists it doesn't take it very long to resist and it resists and it takes off and then what you're learning and as you watch this is you're learning that you know what this has been going on my whole life this is going all day long and I'm not paying attention to it I'm just in the thought I'm in the experience the mind runs over here it has this thought it's an upsetting thought and you feel anxious um, and this is this is the value of developing this skill, learning to be aware of what your mind is doing and to be in control of what your mind is doing is a skill. And that's what you're developing through this, because then you begin to use your mind as a tool to solve your problems and to bring peace in your life and to accomplish your goals instead of being a puppet of all the emotional content that comes from these random thoughts that your mind creates. It made me think this is sort of a side tangent, but I was coaching somebody recently and he was sitting across from a woman and we were practicing just holding eye contact because he, he had trouble holding eye contact with people, let alone women that he found attractive. And I noticed that he kept looking away, right? And that was really a manifestation of sort of the anxiety in the thought process that was going on in his head. And so we were trying to get him to quiet his mind. And it was interesting because as we did this, he stopped looking away, but then he started uh, shaking his hands and then moving his legs. Like the anxiety moved into different places. And this behavioral stuff was a manifestation of how he was feeling and the things that he was thinking about. And so that sort of leads me into the next question. When somebody is practicing sort of the process that you are describing, are they attempting to have complete quiet? in their mind so they're they're sort of not thinking anything and they're and they're sort of totally present or a blank slate or are they trying to be mostly aware of the thoughts as they drift or are or sounds a little bit more like they're trying to redirect them if, if what i'm trying to get at is if somebody has never done this 
before and they don't really have a context. I want them to be able to sit down and understand not only what they're supposed to do, but sort of what is with their experience and, and if that is normal or sort of what they should be doing. Uh, that's a great question and a great point to be made. Um, it's perfectly normal to not be able to do this well. I mean, we're not when you when we say we're trying to <clears throat> bring the mind into focus, quiet the mind. Uh, all we're really doing there is giving our mind. It's a target for an archer. You know, you have to have some place to direct your energy, your mental energy. And so we're saying, look, what I'm trying to do is um, thin out the thoughts that are in my mind. And uh, are you going to be able to do that all the time? Absolutely not. Even the people that sit up in the Tibetan Himalayas, uh, you know, and they do this stuff all day long, can't do it. It's just the nature of the mind. And what we're trying to do is just create an awareness of this is what is going on behind the scenes without your knowledge and without your permission. And even when you feel like you're paying attention and you're in the present, you're not. You're just a puppet of what is going, what the thoughts and the emotional content that your mind is creating. So, when you meditate, there are going to be times when you do this thought awareness training, there will be times, depending on what is going on in your life, what time of day it is, where you'll, your mind will be very active and it will have a lot of thoughts and you'll feel like you're just fighting with it all the time. There will be other times where you're more relaxed and you're not really thinking about a whole lot. And the amount of thoughts that your mind, the amount of times your mind runs off is going to be quite a bit less. Uh, they're both normal. Everybody experiences it. There is no such thing as a bad thought awareness meditation session. It doesn't exist. It's just what you're doing is, um, you know, my jazz piano instructor used to tell me, you practice so that your worst performance is acceptable. So what are we doing here? You're getting yourself to a point so that on your worst day when stuff is going wrong, you still have this awareness that your mind is trying to pull you into an anxious state, that you're not really anxious, you're have, you're experiencing an anxious thought. And that thought is making you feel this way. And when you start to be able to separate yourself from that, then you have the opportunity to change that thought. And that's, you know, that's another, it's, I'm not saying that that's easy to do because the, the mind is powerful, but at least you have the choice. Before that, you don't have the choice. You're just in the thought and you're not even noticing that you're in the thought. So yes, it is normal to, um, to have this, these sessions feel like you're a failure because your mind is running all over the place, but that has nothing to do with it. The more times that you catch your mind, the better it is for you. And you ask about, are we trying to uh, get a mind that's completely still. Well, again, that's just the bullseye and the target, but it doesn't mean that you're going to hit that bullseye. It's just something for you to, um, it's just an intention. That's what your intention is. But you have to understand that that, um, you're not going to reach that. That, and so that's, and that's okay that you're not going to reach it. So yes, um, and, and it's really just, it's an exercise. You know, nobody has a quiet mind all day long. And there will be times where you're doing it and you'll just drop into a quiet state. Now, the interesting thing about that is it's a paradox. When you have no thought, you can't notice that you're not thinking because that would, that requires thinking. So when you um, get to a state where you have no thinking going on when you're in a state of meditation, then there really is just this nothing calmness and uh, it's a quiet. Uh, but as soon as you go, hey, wow, you know, um, my mind's really quiet. Well, it isn't anymore because now you're thinking. So uh, it's it's an interesting paradox. But yes, that's what you're trying to do. Is that's just, but it's just a target to aim at. It, it's not a it's not a reference as to how well you're doing. Something else I want to mention. 
I've done a little bit of meditating. One of the first things that happened to me is I started to quiet my mind and I felt overwhelmed by the sense of quietness, right? I felt overwhelmed. Like I, it was almost too much to have silence. And is that something that you have other people experience? Is that something that's normal? It's not only normal. The reason it doesn't feel normal is because we live in a culture today that where our mind is overstimulated all the time, you know, with our mobile devices and our television, our computer, the media is connected to us 24 seven and they're constantly pumping information into us, whether it's in the form of news, social media, advertisement. So our mind is always being asked to analyze and think. And that's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, we're finding that we have so many distractions that uh, our attention span, our ability to pay attention is um, is growing less and less and less. It's a really serious problem. In fact, I saw one study where I think it was done in Canada by Microsoft. Uh, but what they said at the end of the study with the, the group of people they used, which was several hundred, uh, is that our attention span is less than that of a goldfish, which I think they came out to was about eight seconds, something like that. Uh, but you know, what is happening in our brain is that we are asking our brain to work at a hyperspeed, to work faster, to, because it has to in order to process all the information that we're putting into it. I mean, if you go back 100 years ago and somebody was going to ride to town to get some groceries, they didn't jump in the car talking on their cell phone and uh, with all this traffic and traffic lights, they got on a horse and maybe had they, they had to ride five miles and it was like a two hour ride of just clip clopping along through the countryside. You know, there wasn't all this mental stimulation that we have today. So what is that doing to our brain? Well, it's developing the portion of our brain that needs to respond to that and be able to function in that environment. But the part of our brain that sits quietly, which is also the part that allows us to focus our attention on demand on a specific subject is atrophying because we're not using that and we're not asking our brain to do it. It's really just an evolutionary state that is happening with the brain. And if we're not paying attention to it, we're losing a faculty that is really important. That's why people are finding that. And I've uh, I've read books like uh, Nicholas Carr's book, the uh, what is happening, what the Internet is doing to our brain. You look at a, um, what he's saying is that he said he used to be like a, a voracious reader. He said, you know, but he noticed he was in his 50s at the time. He said, I sit down with a book and 10 minutes into the book, he, he said, I'm thinking I need to go check my email. I mean, this is how we are. We can't sit still. Our minds can't be still. And we really need to combat this in order to reach our potential. This is what they're learning with all the sports psychology and the neurosciences. This is when people funk these athletes. You know, we've peaked in, in athleticism in our understanding of how does the body move? And how do we make like the perfect golf swing? We know that. We have robots that can show us this. We put suits on people and they swing and we can analyze the perfect golf swing and we can teach it to someone. All right. Well, if you have that ability and you, you master that, why can't you hit the ball perfectly every time? Because the mind has to execute the golf swing. And this is where the final frontier is. We, you know, we understand where the mind is and how it's functioning when we're operating at peak performance. But how do we get the mind to be there all the time? That's what everybody is studying now. And that's really what we're talking about. And as I said, the fundamental building block is you need to know what your mind is doing when, uh, you know, when you don't want it to. So with you talking about this, this quietness, it feels strange to us because we don't experience an, uh, 
any other way. But it's really what your experience is total clarity. And you're just not used to that. It's funny, uh, probably six or seven months ago, I was going through a period of my life where I felt like the world was constantly screaming at me. And I mean, I don't mean that literally, but I mean, I would go on my computer and I would get these email notifications and I would go on my phone and every time an app wanted my attention, it would have like a little notification on it. I was getting beeps like I have a tablet, I have a desktop, I have a phone. Every one of those devices is beeping at me all the time. And all these devices are trying to get my my attention. And what I realized was that I need to start turning off these notifications. I didn't even realize that they could be turned off. Um, but I began to turn off all these notifications. And I was amazed at how much of a massive impact that little exercise had in my life. And it probably took about three or four weeks of me turning off notifications <laughs> before I got to all the notifications I didn't realize that were on by default in a lot of these programs. And I mean, this is sort of a side tangent, but that process allowed me to have a lot more focus um, because I was always, when I say I felt like I was being yelled at, I always had another device saying, look at me. And that was pulling me away from my attempt to, to focus on one thing. It's just sort of a side story that maybe somebody who's listening to this um, might be able to apply in their life if they feel like they're being overwhelmed by their by their devices. But going back to what you're you're saying, let's say somebody practices uh, what you're describing in ten minute sessions every day, where they sit in a chair and they focus on their breathing, or they focus on this three or four letter word. They do this for a month. They do this for two months, five months, a year. How will this begin to change their daily life? How have you seen this affect your clients' lives? Well, what will happen is they will begin to not only command their thoughts, but they will begin to be ahead of their thoughts. So in other words, instead of getting sucked into emotional situations, they will watch the situation and then they will make a choice. Am I going to participate in this emotionally? Am I not going to participate in this emotionally? It really brings this inner state of calm because you become more of, of an observer of your world, the world around you, other people, instead of being um, in a constant state of reaction. You know, I mean, where people say, you know, uh, are you having a bad hair day? Well, all of a sudden that ruins your day. I mean, I had that one time with my older daughter when she was in middle school. She came home and it was, I don't know, maybe 430 in the afternoon and she was upset. And I said, what's the problem? And she said, well, this girl, when I was at my locker this morning, said my hair looked weird. And I said, what and what time was that? And she said, like, I don't know, 745. And I said, it's 430. I said, you just keep remembering that thought and running it over and over again in your head. And every time you remember it you you experience all the emotional content of it. You know, it wouldn't it be great if you could just shut that off and say, you know what, this thought is not serving me in a positive way. So I'm not going to have it. I'm just making that choice. I'm not going to have it. And that's what this stuff brings to you. It also, as I said earlier, it thins out your thinking. And as it thins out your thinking, uh, and you, you will become more very present because thinking of the future, thinking of the past means you're not in the present moment. So it's a, a, a byproduct of this, these sessions is it makes you function naturally more in the present moment. And when you're in the present moment, you have access to all of your computational, you know, energy, all of your, uh, your consciousness. It, it 
that's the reason why it raises your efficiency and your performance level naturally because you're just it's like you're you're shutting off background tasks on your computer you know you're um and you're getting more uh, processor power available to you I used that example a few minutes ago, and it sort of seemed like a side tangent. And as I'm sort of listening to you and processing and trying to connect ideas, I'm wondering if it was that increased awareness of the things that were bothering me that caused me to make changes in my environment that allowed me to function better, right? And so going on to this idea of sort of awareness of thoughts and and not letting my mind drift, I guess I could have also just said, well, um, I'm aware that these things are trying to get my attention, but I'm not going to react to them. That still would have caused them to beep and distract me and still would have had an effect. I'm thinking of another example. Like if somebody lived, I'm in New York City, if somebody lived next to a train, they could tune out the train, but the train's still going to have some effect on them. It also, another thing that could potentially come from this is this awareness that the train is bothering them. And then the active process of moving away from the train. Is this also another benefit to meditation or is the focus really on not being affected by the environment and sort of being focused purely on the thoughts? Well, in my opinion, the focus, what you're describing there are just natural byproducts of meditation. All you're really doing with meditation is learning um, to be aware of what your mind is doing and to be in more control of it. All those things that you're talking about there, like making better decisions or deciding to move, uh, those are just byproducts that come as a natural result of having a mind that is cleaner and more focused. Uh, that's when you make better decisions. And that's why, you know, places like Google and these other executive places have meditation rooms because they know that, you know, they study the brain and neuroscience and how is what is going on in the brain? What part of the brains are activated when you meditate? I, I actually I saw um, a test where they wired up uh, Deepak Chopra and they were doing these brain scans and everything. And then he went into this meditation. And because he's been doing it for so long, within a few minutes, his whole the brain wave changed. The part of his brain that was active changed. I mean, this is it's there's a physiological thing that happens with this. And what you're describing to me are just all good byproducts. It's like you could use the same thing with exercise because, you know, people would say um, to me, well, I think one of the things that people struggle with in our culture is something that has no closure to it because we have too many things going on. So we want the report done. We want the kids picked up from school. We want dinner made. We want the dishes clean. We want stuff off of our plate. And so when you tell somebody, look, this is this doesn't have an end. What you, you do this for the rest of your life. That's not a, that's not a comfortable place to be. But it's very much like um exercising. You don't get to a place with exercising where you go, well, I'm done. I can quit exercising for the rest of my life. Exercising is a normal part of a healthy lifestyle. It keeps your body in a place and in a condition that allows you to do things that have nothing to do with the exercising. And that's what is to me is a good analogy for this whole thing that we're talking about here with thought awareness and meditation. What it does, it is like exercise. It's part of healthy living. It's part of keeping a healthy mind and keeping a healthy perspective about what is going on with you. You know, who doesn't want to be this type of a person where no one can get them in an argument? 
if you decide you want to argue, that's and you choose to argue, that's one thing. But if you, but it's usually not our choice. We just get drawn into arguments, or we just get drawn into worry and anxiety over things. If you have a choice and you could be in total control over that, who wouldn't want to be that? So to me, that's those are all byproducts of what this process uh, affords us. But in terms of what are we trying to accomplish? The only thing we're trying to accomplish is an awareness, a very simple awareness that we are not our thoughts, that we, we can, we always experience our thoughts. And if we're going to do that, then we would like to be the one who chooses which thoughts we experience and which ones are not going to make us feel good. I have another question for you. While somebody's going through this process of meditating, maybe they've been doing this for a while, but I think a lot of people who are listening to this have never done meditation. Maybe they've heard of it. Uh, but they, they don't really know a lot about it. And for them, this might be an introduction for that. Can you talk a little bit about why it's important to focus on the process of meditation as opposed to the product? Well, process, not product, is important for everything because, um, you know, when you focus on the product, uh, well, let's just say the goal. You, when you set a goal and your mind is on the goal, you need the goal. As I said earlier, it's the target. If you don't if you're an archer and you don't have a bullseye to aim at, you're just pulling back the bow and letting the arrow fly up in the air somewhere. You need to have something to aim your energy at. And so I tell people, look, use the goal as a rudder. But in order to reach the goal, you need to be in the process. Because if you're totally focused on the goal, it immediately, um, what it does is it tells you, I'm here and the goal is there. And I can't be happy until I reach the goal. So that, that means that until I reach the goal is this nuisance, this you know, this annoying process that I have to go through to get to the, the goal. Well, first of all, that's extremely inefficient because there's a lot of processing power in the mind and uh, physical energy that is not going into achieving the goal. It's going into thinking about the goal. And so I, I tell people, look, the most efficient way to accomplish a goal is to just use it as a rudder, but to put your focus on the process of achieving it. And when you do that, you find that the goal just flows towards you with effortless ease because you're not so attached to this moment out in the future. And uh, and you work more efficiently and you actually, you know, time just kind of goes away. You don't notice uh, the time that is going by as you achieve the goal. And you also start to feel like if your goal, if you're, if you're you know, the, the goal out here, whatever that is to lose 30 pounds, you know, if, if that's your goal, then then what happens is that if your real goal, that's your mini goal, but the real goal is to stay in the process of losing the weight, is to develop the skill of dieting. If if that is your, um, if that's really what your goal is, and the result of that is going to be losing 30 pounds, then you begin to every, as long as you're adhering to your plan and you're developing that skill, you're feeling successful every day and you're feeling like you're reaching your goal every day. And so your mindset changes. Uh, as to one of looking in the mirror and getting on the scale every day and saying like, well, I, I've only lost two pounds. Yeah, but if you're if you're staying on your diet, then you're achieving your goal. The 30 pounds is going to come off. And I think it's also important to, um, that people understand that when you set these goals, you know, one of the things that pulls you out of the process is that you you create goals without accurate data. And when you do that, just using this example, I want to lose 30 pounds. That should take five days. Now, that's an absurdity. But it's what we do with so many things. We pick a goal and then we arbitrarily pick a time frame to go with it. And what does that do? It immediately undermines 
us staying in the process because what happens is three days into your 30, your five day lose 30 pound plan, you've only lost four or five pounds and you, your confidence erodes, your ability, your sense of I can accomplish this goal. I can accomplish this goal. There's all this internal dialogue that starts. You become impatient. You become very attached to this, losing this 30 pounds. And all that energy is not going into the process. And again, it makes the process feel like a burden that you have to deal with. When it's all coming from the fact that you hadn't, you didn't have accurate data. And this is, you know, something that I work on with people to help them to stay in the process. I tell them, look, if I told you, you wanted to learn this particular skill and I told you it was going to take you 50 days to learn it. In 15 days, you wouldn't feel bad if you couldn't do it because you go, oh, it's only been 15 days. But if you don't know that and you don't know it takes 50 days and you think it takes 10 days, at 15 days, you think, you know, you, that you're, you really stink at this and, um, and it completely changes your experience of achieving the goal. The real joy is, is in the process of achieving anything. It's, it's in the process. Why does it feel good when you cross the line uh, in a race? It's because you ran the race. If I just draw, if I take a piece of chalk and draw it on the street and say, there's the finish line, go ahead and step over it. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't hold any value to you. It doesn't, there's no um, internal feeling of joy. It, it means absolutely nothing. What makes it feel like an accomplishment and makes it feel like something that we crave for is the experience of the process of running the race, for training for the race. All those things go into that microsecond when you cross the finish line and you have this euphoric feeling of what you've accomplished. It all comes from the process. And when we begin to realize that, we see that the joy in any of our goals that we set is in the process of achieving them, not in the moment they're achieved. That moment is the culmination of everything that has happened before that moment. Yeah, when I was a young guy, I used to experience this a lot. I would set these, what I thought were crazy goals at the time, and then I would achieve them. And then afterwards, I expected there to be some type of, I don't know, high or whatever. The moment would pass and, and it would just pass. And I'm like, well, that was, that was it. <laughs> I spent all this time and then I would go through the process again. And at some point in my life, I realized exactly what you're describing. It was sort of the journey and the, and the process of learning something and everything that led up to the culmination of all of that work that was where I found the meaning. It's that struggle and a small sense of accomplishment and everything that goes into it. So I definitely can relate. Well, again, we, we accomplish our goals much faster when we're in the process because all of our energy is going, all of our thought energy, all of our consciousness, all our physical energy is all focused on what we're doing right now, this, this step right now. I actually got called by a president of a university down in the south one time to come down and speak with the department heads uh, because because of changes in government funding, they had to restructure how they did the, this stuff in the university, and they were on a five-year plan. And he had read The Practicing Mind, and he, he said, you know, the problem that I'm having is that people are so focused on where, they, where we have to be in five years that they're not paying attention to what they're doing today. And he said they're, they're very inefficient in their, um, their daily work. And he said they're just losing so much energy and so much time because they're so attached to this point we need to be at in five years. It's the same thing. When you be, when you are focused on the process, your experience of achi achieving the goal is joyful and relaxed. You don't experience impatient. When, when your consciousness, when your mind is, a, is attached to the moment that you have the goal, then everything between now and then becomes this burden you have to bear. 
Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchrisma.com create account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Christmas Live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Christmas team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. Tom, can you discuss how mindset and perception affect us, as well as how can we optimize our mindsets in order to effectively handle stress and achieve more? Well, mindset is um, how we interpret a situation, uh, as, and I think in the context of this conversation. So um, I'll just give you a, a story from the Fully Engaged where I was asked to work with a young girl golfer. That was Her plan was to become a professional golfer, and she was looking for a college scholarship. And uh, she had – athletically, she was uh, incredibly good. She was uh, better than a lot of the young men she played with because in, the, in the high school, they did um, – everything was basically co-ed. And normally, they were not allowed to have a caddy uh, with them. They had to carry their golf bag. But she contacted me about a year ahead of this big tournament that she wanted to qualify, which meant she had to place in the top four, I think. If she did that, then she would be able to move on to the next tournament and eventually work her way up to where she could play as an amateur in a professional tournament, which was like her dream. It would also help her. Uh, if she got that far, it would certainly assure her a college scholarship. So she contacted me a, a year ahead of this thing because she had a propensity for losing her temper with herself. When she, when everything was working, she was unbeatable. When, when things started to not work well, she was uh, her own worst enemy. So I, I followed her through some of her school tournaments and we sat in Starbucks and talked and talked and talked. And finally the day came for the, uh, the event for this golf tournament. And she asked me if I would caddy for her. And again, usually this wasn't possible, but it was for this particular tournament. So I think she thought having me on the bag would be this big asset for her. So when I got to the, the course, I noticed that her mindset was one of don't mess this up. She wasn't letting herself exhibit and execute the athleticism that she had already proved many times. She had broken state records and everything that year. She was so focused on not making a mistake that it was um, it was having a negative effect on her on her timing and just her golf swing in general. So uh, I didn't want to tell her that because I was concerned that she's already got too much internal dialogue going on. If I talk to her about this, it may just ramp it up. So let me just see if she what we talked about kicks in and she self-corrects. And after about four holes, she had basically shot herself out of the tournament. She could not do anything right. And she had run up a terrible score. And at that point, all was basically lost. And I thought, well, we need to do something here. So 
uh, I asked her as we were walking down the fairway, chasing down one of her errant shots. I said, you know, let me ask you, why did you ask me to work with you? And she said, uh, I asked you to work with me so that I could stop doing what I'm doing right now. And I said, and how do you think you do that? And she said, I don't know. I've tried everything. I've, I've just tried everything. Nothing's working. And I said, well, I think you're missing the point of the question. I said, in order for you to turn the situation around when everything is going wrong, everything has to be going wrong. You can't practice turning the situation around unless everything's going wrong. This is your weak weak point of your game. This is where you fail. I said, and in order for you to correct this, you have to be failing. You can't practice getting out of failure unless you are failing. I said, so stop looking at this as the end of your career and look at it as an opportunity for you to practice what you haven't mastered. I said, the reason this is such a struggle for you is because you're not good at it. I said, you're good at playing when you're playing well. You're not good at playing when you're not playing well. And you don't manage your game well. And in order for you to correct that, you have to be in the situation. I said, it's all about your interpretation, your mindset. What does this situation really represent? The fact that you're feeling inside the sense of struggle, all that's telling you is that you're in the process of gathering data and mastering something that is a skill that you haven't mastered yet. So turn it around. So what she did was she said, you know, I, I didn't think of it like that. I said, well, you're not going to win the tournament and you're not going to advance. I said, but this is not going to impact your golf career. So what it is going to do is it's offering you this opportunity to see if you can change what you thought you couldn't change. And within two holes, she turned her game around. And this is exactly what I said about this young other young athlete that I was working with. for the first time when she started playing in her sport poorly, she saw she could turn it around. So what does mindset do? Your mindset, everything, when you feel like you're anxious about something, when you feel that you're upset about something, it's because you're not very efficient at dealing with that situation. So that situation is offering you an opportunity to get better at dealing with that situation. I mean, if you take a situation where somebody's yelling in your face, if I say to you, uh, if you could handle that situation any way you wanted, what would that be? If you, if I could snap my fingers and you would be able to handle that situation after I snap my fingers any way you want to, want to handle it, what would that be? Well, for, I think for most people, they would say, I would like to stand there and be completely unaffected by someone getting in my face, just completely unaffected emotionally and be able to just look at them like I have no, I'm not involved in this energy at all. Well, how do you do that? Well, we can talk about the mechanics of doing that, but you can't execute the mechanics until you're in the situation. That's when you get to do that. If you're afraid of singing on stage, if you're afraid of asking someone out, how do you get good at it? You know, well, the first thing you have to do is know the mechanics of how to ask somebody out, and then you have to be in a situation where you can ask somebody out. And that, and when you start to feel that nervousness in that moment, you realize that, you know why I feel nervous? Because I haven't mastered this. I don't think about walking across the room as being a struggle. I don't think about reading the book. There was a time where I didn't, I had to sound out the, all the phonetics and the consonants, all this stuff to learn, teach myself how to read. I don't do that anymore. This is just nothing. It's nothing more than that. It's a situation that makes me feel uncomfortable because I'm not good at it. And in order to get good at it, I have to change my perception of what the situation is offering me. So when you do that, this feeling of stress, we, these are all words, you know, stress, struggle, they're just words and they're labels for an experience that we're having inside. And you can interpret that feeling inside as being many, many things. And as I, I try to 
get people to understand. That feeling inside is telling you something, and it doesn't need to be telling you um, it's bad. It's telling you that here's an opportunity for you to push your threshold farther forward. Now, how do you get to that point? By the meditation and the thought awareness training. Because if you don't do that, when you feel stressful, you're just in the stress. You just go right into the stressful emotions and all that stuff, and you have no control over the situation. But when you start to realize the stress, what I'm feeling inside is just the emotional content of a thought that my mind is creating. If I change that thought and I see that, and I'm separate from that, now I have the choice as to, is this going to make me stressful? And again, I'm not saying you're going to master this the first time, but you do have the opportunity to master it. Whereas without that uh, witnessing, without that observation, without being the noticer of this feeling inside, uh, you're just a puppet of it. And so that's what this mindset change, this is how it works. Everything is, you know, is intertwined, Chris. It's like, that's what the, that's why I said the, the thought awareness training is the key to the prison door because it gives you the faculty that you need to develop these other skills. Yeah, this is absolutely awesome. I want to mention sort of two things. One, as you're talking about the golf example, that is, that's a great story. It made me think about Tiger Woods and Tiger Woods at one time was playing better golf than anybody in the history of the world has ever played that sport. And his family life fell apart and he's never been the same. And although his body, uh, he's had issues with his body over the last few years, there were years where his body was fine. It was mental. It was all in his head and he couldn't get it back to the mental place where he once played the game. And I think if Tiger Woods is listening to this, he should hire you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, um, but I'm, I'm bringing him up as a point because... I mean, it's an example of somebody who is at the epitome of peak performance. Something goes wrong that upsets his mental or emotional state, and he's not able to play. After sort of that one incident he had with his family, the next day he's never played golf the same way. So that that was one thing. The second thing that you brought up was approaching somebody. If you're you see someone you're attracted, you're approaching them. The sort of the anxieties that come up. People often ask me, like, what is the secret or what are your top five tips? And I don't really have them. Advice when it comes to sort of dating and meeting people, a lot of it is really directed at the individual. But I I tell people, you know, the most common issue that comes up, I could bring that up, and it's anxieties, right? And so people are dealing with their own anxieties, right? I'm scared to approach somebody. Um, I'm I'm having anxieties around self-worth. It's all anxieties related to these things that are happening in their he- their head. So yeah, I'm like you have to manage your own deal with your own anxieties, and then once you get past those and you meet somebody, you're dealing with theirs to a certain extent. So the biggest issue that inhibits people from coming together, oftentimes, is anxieties. And so you're talking about sort of a strategy for working through and dealing and having more capacity to deal with the things that happen in our mind that are associated with these anxieties. Well, yeah, I guess to simplify it, it just your interpretation of the situation is going to decide how you experience this situation. You know, this girl was in the, in the golf scenario. She was interpreting the situation as losing her one opportunity to do, uh, to move on and get a collegiate scholarship, which wasn't true at all. She ended up with one. I, I mean, I know that because I followed her, um, for several years, she was in the, 10th, 10th or I think she was a sophomore in high school at that time. But and the other thing was that as soon as she changed, she was still playing poorly. 
it was she was still experiencing the same level of performance. But as soon as she changed her interpretation of what the experience was and, and, and she changed it into an opportunity, all of a sudden her game came back. There's the same person, same physical abilities. You know, all she did was change the way she was looking at the situation. And that changed. So she changed her interpretation of what is this situation? On the one hand, it's a horrible thing that's happening. On the other hand, hey, this is a great opportunity. I've been I've been practicing for a year waiting for this to happen. I've been waiting for my game to leave me and for me to you know be leaking oil and losing cylinders and the wheels falling off. I've been waiting for that. And that's what I told her. I said, this is what you were looking for. I said, and you are playing absolutely terribly. This is as good as it gets. And um, you know, and, and as soon as she changed that mindset, everything changed. Her performance came up, her experience, the, what she was feeling inside, the anxiety left. She walked off that course that day and she said, you know, Tom, I would trade the trophies, the records, everything I broke this year for what I found out about myself today. She said, I am on cloud nine with this. I've realized that I can, it's as simple as just changing my perception of what's going on uh, in terms of how I perform and, and how I experience the, um, a situation. And she said that initially I thought was horrible. When I first started coaching almost a decade ago, one of my very first clients, maybe he was my third client, we would take him out and he had really bad social anxiety. In New York City, there's actually a big social anxiety community and, and they do meetups together. And But I didn't even realize this was a thing until I met him. And we'd go out and he had this severe shyness and, and social anxiety, social phobia. And he would go out and he had this fear that he would get rejected. Right. And so he was focused on the outcome and he would focus on what can I say in order that this person that I want to approach won't reject me. And one day we were out and I mean, we've been role playing. We practice situations, practice approaching people. We worked on the skills that were sort of associated with meetings. So we worked on body language and eye contact and moving out of in and out of another person's space. And so, so we worked on all the skill sets, but he had this massive breakthrough. And, and I asked him, I said, what? what happened today? And he goes, well, I just thought about the situation differently. Instead of thinking about what can I say so that this person won't reject me? Because I just said, you know, I'm going to go out and meet social people today. I want to meet the most social person in this room. And he goes, I, I focused on that. I'm just going to meet the most social person in the room. I want to meet somebody who really loves people and wants to meet other people. And he goes, I just focused that every time I approach someone. And he goes, and if it didn't go well, then I just said, well, that's not the person I'm looking for. I got to go find this person. <laughs> that's my mission. And he kept doing that until um, by the end of the night, he was talking to everybody. But that it was just a small shift in the way that he thought about his situation and what he was doing that allowed him to give himself permission to be successful in the process. And I'm hearing a lot of that in what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, people don't realize how close they are to changing their their experience of their day. They're, they don't realize how close they are to that. I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot. It's just knowing what the mechanics are. If you don't know, you know, um, all these people got killed while we were trying to figure out how to fly. You know, it wasn't because flight wasn't possible. It's because we didn't understand flight. <laughs> we didn't understand what an airfoil was. And as soon as we figured that out, it was easy. Like, and this is, we're really talking about the same thing. If you, once you understand the mechanics of this stuff. They're not complicated at all. And anybody can do them. And they just take repetition. And when you understand that, um, it you really start to become in control of, of who you are and how you experience uh, your daily life. So somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, 
this is something that I might want to apply to my life or is something I definitely want to apply to my life or something I at least want to experiment with. How do they make it a habit? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, back up and just talk about habits in general. You know, the brain loves habits. Anything we repeat, the brain makes into a habit. It doesn't matter whether it's a physical action like taking the club away in a golf swing or if it's how you react to criticism. It's a habit. And it's a behavior that you have repeated over and over and over again. And so the mind just, uh, it just executes it. You know, when, as soon as it gets the stimulation, it executes it. And the reason that this, our brains like this is because it's very processor efficient. You know, if you think about it like the, a computer, anything that the computer can throw into a background task means that it's freeing up processor power for learning new things. So with us, when we're learning something new, it requires all of our brain. I mean, anytime you try to do something for the first time, you're totally absorbed in it. it. Ironically, the better you get at it, the less processor it takes from your mind. It starts to, you know, it, it starts to automate certain, uh, certain portions of the action. And then your conscious connection to it gets less and less. And that's why the problem with things that we have habitualized is that there's there's no conscious choice making in them. They just the stimulus happens and then they're fired. Uh, and so you're really not a conscious choice maker in so many of the things that you do during the day uh, because you have habitualized these things and you don't even realize it. So to me, that's that's very powerful understanding that, because if you understand that, then you understand that. Anything you repeat, whether it's a reaction to a situation, whether it's a behavior, whether it's uh, something in your golf swing, anything that you repeat over and over again with a conscious intention that this is what this is how I want to act in this situation. This is what I want my golf club to do when I'm taking it away. This is how I want to react when somebody says something to me that's unkind. When you have this consciousness there, you're very present moment in that and you're, you have an intention. The brain just picks up on that. And says, again, anything you're doing over and over again, the brain says, oh, good, here's something we can make into a habit. So habits are easy to make. Um, and that's also uh, what's a, what's problematic, because if you are not aware, if you're not noticing, which you don't have, if you're, um, you know, if you're not involved with uh, thought awareness training, if you're not aware, then what is happening is you're creating habits all day long that you're not even aware you're creating. And then you're having to deal with what those habits, you know, the, the consequences of those habits. So I would say that um, anything becomes easier once you understand how a habit is created and then you start to become a conscious choice maker of what you're turning into a habit. And that's how you break a bad habit is to, you know, sit there and say, this is a bad habit. And I tell people, you know, look at certain situations, whether it's anything, sports, eating, whatever. Ask yourself when you're in a calm state of mind, if I could handle this situation any way that I want, what would that be? Because if you don't know what that is, when you're not in the emotional content of the moment, you're not going to be able to figure it out when you're in that moment. That's why, you know, I have a pilot's license and they drill into you, you know, what are you going to do if the engine quits? You don't want to be trying to figure that out when the engine quits. You know, you have a process that you, a procedure you drop right into and you practice it over and over and over again. So it becomes a habit. And so when you're flying along and the engine quits, you don't go, oh, my gosh, what do I do now? You just drop into this habit. You know, why do you think, you know, Captain Sully could land that airplane on the Hudson? That was an incredible, incredible feat. I mean, that that guy had everything in the world go wrong. 
full fuel over over top of New York City, a couple of hundred people's lives are in the hands of his decision making in that moment. And when you listen to the um, the cockpit recordings of him, he sounds pretty calm. And that's because he had been trained through all the simulation and all these different uh, behaviors of what are you going to do if this happens? What are you going to do if that happens? And those reactions had become habitualized in him. So he knew, all right, we do this. No, that's then on second thought. No, that's not going to work. We're going to do this. He didn't have to do all this um, analyzing in the moment. And that's why I say, you know, habits are anything that we repeat. So be aware of what you're you're making into a habit. And how do you do that? Well, we just go back to the thought awareness training. If you're not a, if you're not aware of what your mind is doing and what you're thinking all day long, you're just creating habits completely in the blind, and then you're a victim of those habits. But if you do have an awareness of what what thoughts that your mind is creating and, um, and what you're repeating, and are you aware of how you react in a situation when you're in the situation? I'm not talking about later. I'm talking about when you're in the situation. Are you noticing the thoughts that are running through your head? Because if you are, that's when you have the opportunity to change them and habitualize a different reaction to that situation. So we have a tremendous amount of control over our lives and we can become very powerful of how we handle any situation. We just have to be in the be present um, and be aware of how we're handling it and what habit is being executed so we can decide whether it's a good habit, a bad habit, whether we want to keep it, whether we want to refine it. All of those things we, we have under our control if we use it. This is sort of a silly, stupid example of something that happened in my life that I found completely absurd. But there was a period of my life, like I, I was on a schedule where I would do one thing and then move to the next thing, and I, I was in a rush. And I would end up, I, I, this is so silly that I'm even sharing this, but I'm, I'm going to share it because I think people might find some other aspect of their life where they, they maybe have done something like this with habits, and then it will evolve into something, hopefully a more meaningful connection. I would use the bathroom, and so right as I was done going to the bathroom, I'd flush the toilet, and then I'd run off to do the next task the same time every day between the same tasks for, I don't know, about two weeks. And I found that by the end of the two weeks, I was reaching to flush the toilet before I'd even finished going to the bathroom. It seems silly, but I had developed this habit unconsciously where I'm flushing the toilet before I'm even finishing going to the bathroom. And I had to stop myself and I said, why am I doing this? And I realized it was because I, this, I was crunched for time in between these two different activities. And I developed this weird habit and I started, I asked myself, where am I also developing other habits in my life that are maybe just as quirky, but not as obvious, right? So you use the example of the girl who fell into a certain set of habits while she's playing golf and she's in situations where she is stressed out. Maybe somebody is doing this with their finances. Uh, maybe they're doing this in relationships. Uh, with people that they care about, uh, something happens, it creates some form of trigger. I was coaching a guy uh, recently, I mentioned him on the podcast, and, and he was on a date and someone went to reach for him and he flinched. They didn't reach him, they went to touch him. And he was on a date and he flinched and the girl apologized. That made him aware that he would fall into this habit unconsciously where he would pull away. And it had to do with deeper things that happened in his childhood. But people are listening to this, you might find there's some places in your life where you sort of have these habits that are really obvious and absurd and you and you have these aha moments where you're like, what am I doing? But those are really interesting to me because it makes me more aware or more hyper aware of some of these places where it's not quite as obvious, but they're having detrimental impact on your life. If somebody is 
going through this and they want to break these habits, right? They start to become aware of them or they want to become more aware of them. What are some things that they can do not only to increase their awareness, but start to break the habits? Well, the thought awareness training that we just keep harping on, that'll do that for you automatically. You won't have to, you know, the awareness that comes from that is not something that you can stop from happening. It's just a natural byproduct. You know, if you run five miles a day, your cardiovascular system is going to change. It's not like you can stop that from happening. If you practice meditation, that you know, becoming more aware of your thinking and what your mind is doing, you will have this awareness. You will start to just notice. That's what we were talking about earlier. As I said, you get out ahead of your thoughts. You start to just watch what you're thinking, uh, how you're reacting to things, and you begin to have this control and these opportunities to change that uh, things that you weren't even aware you were doing. So that the awareness will come automatically just from sitting for 10 minutes a day and practicing uh, being quiet and watching your breath or saying your phrase. The In terms of changing the habit, you have to know what you want the new habit to be. And you may have to write that out. And the reason I say that is because you know, we, we have all these thoughts running around in our head. It takes a certain amount of clarity in order to put something down on paper. Uh, you have because the thoughts, they manifest as all these feelings. But when you ask somebody, you know, well, how would you if you could handle that situation? Again, this is what I tell people. If you could handle it any way you want, what would that be? And many people just all they know is they don't like the way that they handle the situation or they want to handle it better. OK, well, what's better to find better? Write it down. Write down exactly what you want to do in that situation because what are you doing you're going you're giving your brain this this information you know this is what i tell people like when uh, i was talking to this young athlete about um you know i said what are you going to do when you have this now you have this awareness that you have this awareness that i'm starting to think that i'm not going to play good today and i said um what are you going to tell yourself when that happens and she said that I need to play better. I said, I wouldn't use that. I said, I would say, um, I have this and I am playing beautifully. And she said, why? I said, because when you tell your brain, I need to play better, it goes and gets the performance, which is I need to play better. It's just, you know, in golf, they say, if you're standing on the tee and you have to hit the ball over water and have it land on the green, you don't think don't hit the ball in the water because the subconscious doesn't read the, the do, don't do. It just reads the picture of the ball going in the water that you had to have to have the thought, don't hit the ball in the water. So you, and that's what it does. It just it, You say, don't hit the ball in the water. Your brain sees the picture, and then it goes and gets off the hard drive, the swing that's going to put the ball in the water. It's almost comical because you see this all the time when you're playing with people. They go, I just told myself not to do that. Yeah, that's right. So you did it. And the brain works really well. So you tell yourself, I, you see the ball landing on the green. You just take the the, um, the water completely out of your thought system. So it's the same thing with this. You know, like I told her, don't say I need to play better because what you're telling your subconscious is go get my performance level level. That is me needing to play better. So, you know, tell your brain I am playing so good I can't stand it. You know, like and so it'll go and get that. So it's the same thing here. You know, look at what you want to create in this um, in your habit. Don't say, I don't want to do this anymore. Just think of what you want your new habit to be and be clear on it. You know, write the stuff down so that the information that you're putting into your brain is exactly what you want it to give back to you. And then, then just relax. I tell people, you know, repeat and relax. Anything you repeat is going to become a habit. You can't stop it from it. So know that and make be conscious of what you're repeating so that you know what is uh, you're turning into a habit in your life. I know that people are listening to this 
some of them are dealing with adversity. Uh, if they haven't, they will <laughs> deal with adversity and challenges and difficult times in their life. It's just sort of part of being human. How can this practice help sort of prepare somebody for more difficult times that they might experience? Well, I would say two things that, you know, one is with, if you just review everything that we've talked about, uh, the, the meditation and thought awareness will get you out ahead of situations. So you're not blindsided for one. It's difficult to describe this to people that do not participate in this on a, on a daily basis. I mean, as I said, you know, when, uh, when you begin to have anxious thoughts or angry thoughts, when you are an observer of that, it's like you're watching somebody else experience that. You aren't experience that. You're watching that happen with somebody else. It's very difficult to describe what the feeling is like and what the experience is like. That's one thing. So if you do everything that we've been talking about here, the difficult situations, difficult, again, that's a label. That's a label to describe an experience. So you may change your perspective of the experience when it happens, and you'll have the opportunity to do that because you won't be in the experience. You'll be watching the experience. So you will have the opportunity to change that experience. Uh, and then you will, if you change your perspective about it, your, your interpretation of it, then your experience of it will be different. That's one thing. But I think the other thing that's important to recognize is that there are difficulties in life. You know, I, th I think we're kind of taught that life should be fun all the time. And what makes something fun? Well, experiencing something that isn't fun. <laughs> I mean, it's really just like a point of relativity. I mean, why does I once asked a bunch of college golfers, um, why does it feel so good when you hit a great golf shot? And they're all giving me these these crazy answers. I said, no. It feels so good because you've hit so many bad ones and they just all broke up laughing. They said, yeah, you're right. And I said, that's why, you know, there's always this point of relativity that makes you realize this is good. This is not not so good. But again, that's just a judgment. You could say that the bad golf shot is teaching you what you did wrong and it's teaching you, look, if you do this, this is going to be the result of it. But it really isn't bad. That That's just a way that we um, we label it. But I think that people need to understand that there are um, everything that feels difficult is when it feels that way, it's because you're not comfortable dealing with that situation. Now, obviously, um, again, let's just take something like the loss of a loved one due to a terminal illness, because I could see people saying, Leo, what about that? Well, again, ask yourself if you could handle that situation in any way, in any fashion, if you could be any person that you wanted to be in that situation, what would it be? I don't think most people would say, well, I don't want to feel anything in that situation. I, I expect to feel sadness because it's loss. Okay, so when you're feeling the sadness, embrace it. It's um, it's exactly what you want. I don't think people want to be just completely unimpacted uh, by anything that happens in their life. I think that's part of uh, making us enjoy life and giving us the variety of experiences that makes life what it is. I have one last question. If somebody is listening to this or listening to you, they like the thing that you're talking about and they're thinking that they might want to work with you. Can you talk about what that process is, is like? What do you do in a session? What could they expect to sort of get out of the things that uh, you guys would, would do together? Well, Normally, when people come to me, it starts out as one particular thing that they're trying to fix in their life or in their behavior. And that one thing is uh, is what they're trying to turn around. But as you can see by today's discussion, this stuff impacts everything in your life. So I like the fact that we are 
applying it to one particular thing because I think it's easier for people to grasp instead of trying to um, for them to figure out how to apply what we're going to talk about in a session to everything in their life. So first of all, I won't do just one session with somebody because that's like going to a piano teacher one time and saying, teach me how to play the piano. It takes a certain, uh, you know, it takes a few sessions for me to understand how they process stuff and for them to get comfortable enough to really start to open up and talk about what's going on in their mind. So we generally take, you know, one thing and then we start to, I had the first thing I have to do is figure out how are they processing the situation right now? So if I use, um, the, the young athlete, I, I like I said, I, most of the people I work with are adults, but uh, if I use the girl that's the uh, young athlete who is in uh, college sports and she was getting down on herself, uh, I had to figure out initially, uh, where was that coming from? Was it coming from how long had she been playing? Is this something that she does in everything in her life? Is it just something that happens? on the uh, on the uh, volleyball court because she's a volleyball player. And I asked her, um, what does she experience when she's sitting on the bench? Does she get nervous when the team is playing poorly? Is she afraid that the coach is going to put her in the game and she's not going to be able to perform well? You go through a learning process in the beginning to find out well, how these people are, are doing, uh, how they got to where they're at. And then you begin to build a strategy on um, when we're just talking back and forth like, like this. And we talk about I give them ideas like what if you look at it like this what if you um you know this one particular girl I said you know when you have this thought that you're going to play terrible I said you know you need to stop that thought process from moving forward so what could be a trigger that you could pull that you feel like you could um execute because you're gonna she already has this awareness that she's gotten from the thought awareness training because I always that's the very first thing that we talk about is you got to do that in order for us to be able to make progress and um, I said, so when you have that feeling uh, and you start to that, that's a feeling that you have had your whole life as long as you've been in the sport. What's something that you can say that's going to pull you out of that emotional moment? That's going to uh, that microsecond there where you have this choice of do I go down this road to the left that I've gone down many times before or do I go down this road to the right? What's going to give me that opportunity to, to go to the right, which is where I want to go? We come up with strategies like that and then we come up with, OK, so once you start down that road, what do you, you know, let's talk about what you can do and how to observe it. Uh, and we talk about all the stuff that we're talking about today, you know, like um, how to change your perspective on things and many times change something that you thought was a problem. It's not a problem. It's just your the way that you're interpreting it. And what what always happens is that it goes into other areas of their life and they start talking about other areas with a student. It might be resistance to studying. I don't feel like studying. Okay, well, let's look at that. That's a feeling. That's a thought when you feel like I don't feel like studying. That's a thought. So can we apply this to that? Yeah, we can. You know, so uh, and with business and, you know, in a more of a corporate area, it's uh, how to work through a, a difficult decision. What's making it difficult? Is that your interpretation of it or um, what's the fear involved? And in I mean, all those types of things we we go into. So most people work with me for at least a month, uh, like four sessions. And some people, it's much longer than that. And and then after that, many times they they go off. I've worked uh, with one uh, guy recently was a surgeon and we worked for several months together. And then maybe once a quarter, he calls me up and says, you know, I just kind of want to review some stuff and share, talk about some things that have been happening with me and get your take on it. So um, it's generally like that. I mean, it's really a, a back and forth. I give them some homework. You know, I give them a recording of the session. I don't want them taking notes because if they're taking notes, then they're not, while they're writing, they're not listening. 
And they're also not processing what I'm saying so they, they can ask a question. So I just send them a recording of the session. I tell them that they can contact me anytime in between the sessions through email uh, or texting. And if they come up against something that they find is difficult and, uh, you know, we'll talk back and forth about that. Uh, and then, as I said, they, uh, I say, all right. So at the end of the session, I say, let's recap the basics of the fundamental things that we went over and what our goal is for the next time. And then this is what I, this is your homework for the next session. This is what I want you to do. So that, that's pretty much how it works. What type of issues come up? You mentioned the golf swing. You mentioned the surgeon. I'm hof- hopefully it wasn't him doing surgery. <laughs> but <laughs> no, well, <laughs> now when he came to me, I'll give you two examples. Um, he came to me, the surgeon came to me uh, and said, uh, some days I walk into work. And I hate my job. He said, some days I come in and I love my job and I'm doing the same thing on both days. I don't understand why. And so that was the, what he posed to me on the, uh, the very first session when we and that's where we started. Another guy um, was is a retired CEO and he uh, was uh, played multiple musical instruments. And of course, I play multiple instruments. So we're both musicians. And he said, you know, I used to love to practice, he said, and now I don't. And he said, and I don't know what has changed, he said, and now I have the time to practice and I want to rediscover my love of practicing. So that was where we started with him. Another person was a writer and he was actually someone that he wanted to be a full time novelist. And so he had uh, started off uh, and he had a family and everything. He actually had a day job and he wanted to be able to leave that day job and become a full-time writer. So when he was talking to me, he said, um, you know, I've got, I've set this goal of writing 10 stories in 10 weeks. And he said, and you know, he said, when I just sit down and write, uh, I really enjoy it. He said, but I'm not enjoying this and I'm, I'm not writing very well. I'm, uh, I don't really even like the stuff that I'm writing, but he was submitting it to these different people out on the internet for reviews to get criticism of it. And so he said, so, you know, I'm uh, I'm really struggling with this goal. And I said, well, what's what's really your goal here? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, I think your goal that you're not really verbalizing is you want to become a better writer. You want your writing to be effortless and you want your writing to be very high quality. I said, is that really what you want to accomplish? And he said, yeah, that is what I want to accomplish. I said, well. I said, I'm not really sure where you came up with this writing 10 stories in 10 weeks. I said, you don't really you're like the person who wants to lose 30 pounds in five days. You don't really know how long it takes you to write 10 high quality stories that you're enjoying while you're writing. I said, so why don't you just write 10 stories that you really like and enjoy in the process and see how long it takes you? I said, then you'll have more accurate data. And it was just like, he said, why didn't I think of that? Um, I said, well, you're not getting paid to write right now. It's not like you have to write this many stories in 10, in 10 weeks. I said, you're just telling yourself that it's a goal that you have set without a whole lot of information. I said, once you do that and you go through writing 10 stories and you look at how long I said, I think you'll find that some stories take, take a day. Others might take a week. I said, but it's the end of the 10 story, you'll have a better idea of how long it takes you. What's a realistic pace for you to be able to accomplish all these things that you're trying to accomplish. So, you know, that was another one. But then there's also stuff like I've had uh, capital investment firms that asked me to come and talk to them because the guy, this particular guy who owned, uh, who owned the firm said, you know, I'm investing 
hundreds of millions of dollars, he said, and I have to make these decisions and I lose focus and I start getting anxious. And he said, I've, you know, I've read your stuff. And he said, I'd like you to come. Everybody in the uh, company has read your stuff. I'd like you to come and do a working lunch. So it's kind of all over the place. <laughs> but the thing is that what we're talking about here is just the way we work at our highest level and how, and we feel good inside. It doesn't, you know, high performance is no good if it makes you feel terrible. So I think what they've learned and, uh, you know, what they've proved through a lot of empirical studies uh, is teaching us that, look, we do understand how the mind works and um, and how we do function at our highest level and how we can accomplish the most with, in the least amount of time. You know, developing a skill in the least amount of time with the most efficiency is a skill. That's a skill itself. And so when you learn that, then you learn to apply that skill into developing any skill that you want. So that's really what we're talking about here. You know, it's whether it's a skill of being better at dating, being a better spouse, being better at job interviews. You know, it's once you understand the mechanics of how to develop a skill efficiently and how to do it in a way that you enjoy the process, uh, it, 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 your whole life experience changes. The finance example made me think of how I got introduced to the idea of meditation. And I was coaching somebody, she's like Forbes 30 under 30, and she was friends with this guy named Ray Dalio. And Ray Dalio runs the world's largest hedge fund. And he had this pamphlet floating around that became a best-selling book. Um, at that time, it was something that they passed around internally to his employees. And it was like a series of essentially meditations or principles that he lived he lived by and that he had found to be sort of deeper truths in his life. And He's like, they don't always work, but they work the majority of the time. And if you keep using them, then you'll develop sort of better habits. And it's a lot of what you're talking about. And But at that time, I tried to look up, he used to practice something called transcendental meditation. I think I'm saying yes. that right. Yes. And I didn't have any clue what that was. I couldn't find anything on the internet. Um, but the idea of sort of mindfulness is becoming more and more popular. And I think it's really important. I know it's something that I've begun to try to apply to my life, it's uh, it's an ongoing process. It's something I'm still learning a lot about. There's a lot more resources available. Um, but if you're listening to this and you're interested in sort of clearing out that clutter, for me, I was fascinated with how could somebody develop a mind that allowed them to consistently make good financial decisions the way that this guy was making consistently good financial decisions or appeared to be and had found a way to attempt to scale that mindset because he was trying to build an organization where he couldn't manage all this money. He had to have other people who also sort of had a similar mindset and thought process. That fascinated me. But I found applications in lots of other places. I use, use the writing example. It's really hard to write a good story, but that's a great example. This guy's fixated on writing 10 stories. That's sort of where he came up with sort of that number and that deadline who knows, it's sort of born out of his own mind. Maybe it's something that he heard, just thought was a good idea. But if you look at somebody who's a great writer, you look at someone like Society has validated, someone like Steinbeck or Hemingway or Gabriel Garcia Marquez, you write 20 great stories in your life and you're prolific. Stephen King. <laughs> so you write 20 great stories and you are prolific. Like your name is going to last for hundreds of years in the world of sort of literature you don't need to write 10 stories you need to write 10 good stories and what is the process for doing that and there's so many sort of anxieties and mental blocks that hold us back and the different things that we want to do in life and definitely in our relationships and i see it every day in my class so i want to thank you tom for taking the time to talk to me it's been absolutely awesome 
If somebody is listening to this and they want to find out more about Tom and his coaching and his books, I'm going to post some links in the description of the podcast and on the Craft Christmas website so you can find out about him more easily. Tom, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up? No, I think we've had a, a really a lovely conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I really appreciate you giving me the chance to be on the podcast. It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.